Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the five biggest storylines in the NBA through the first month of the season. So let's start with the Eastern Conference because two teams that have really stood out so far to open the season are ironically two of Jalen's favorite teams. The Washington Wizards, who currently sit in first place in the Eastern Conference, and the Chicago Bulls, who just knocked off the Los Angeles Lakers the previous night. Jalen, how impressed are you with your teams and what is it that has them significantly overachieving this year? Yeah, man. So this is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout this podcast, but the overachieving on the defensive end for most of the teams we're going to talk about today, especially these two, has been the real big difference in where they were last year to where they are this season. I feel like that's the easiest point to make, especially when we talk about the Wizards and the Bulls. Let's start with the Wizards. Let's start this conversation out with the Wizards. They're in first place in the East, and they are arguably the best-looking team in the Eastern Conference right now. They're 12th in points per game, so they're a top they're a top 12 team in points per game, something we kind of expected. We expected them to be a high-scoring team with Bradley Beal at the helm. But they're eighth in opponents' points per game. They're fifth overall in defensive rating with a 103.7 defensive rating. And ironically, they're middle of the pack in terms of offensive rating at 108.7. So the point that I'm making here is they are playing significantly better as a defensive team than expected, especially when considering the kind of um, the kind of roster build that they have. Bradley Beal's not that big of a defender. Kyle Kuzma is growing into a big time defender by like by our very eyes, by the dribble. Contavious Caldwell Pope is a defensive stopper, so I'll give them that. Spencer Dinwiddie and Montrez Harrow are not known for their defense. I would say Spencer Dinwiddie is um is very uh, feisty on the defensive end of the guard position, but I wouldn't call him a big time defender by any stretch. Same thing with Montrez Harrow. Denny Avdia has surprisingly been really really good on the defensive end. I mean, to the point that he's actually taking. Um, the primary defensive assignments on the opposing team's best player in most games over the last couple of um, games in particular. I mean, Ryan, I'm going to pass it over to you like this, but I mean, outside of their depth, what they've done on the defensive end is not only remarkable, but it's one of those things that goes to show you that the impact that a new voice in the room can have on the culture of a team is something that permeates throughout the roster very early and very often when, when it manifests itself in the correct way. Wes Unseld, uh, Wes Unseld Jr. has stepped in and created a defensive mindset for a team that basically, as Bradley Beal said last season, could not park, a, uh, could not uh, guard a parked car. Also, Executive Tommy Shepard, who actually just pretty much got a raise today because he pretty much got an extension today, made solid moves to create depth out of the Russell Westbrook trade, and it's all coming to fruition. I think it's safe to say that the Wizards have not looked this good since 2017 when they made the Eastern Conference semifinals and, and took Boston to seven games. I think offensively, this team has it going, and 
I think the acquisitions of Kyle Kuzma, KCP, and and uh, Montrezl Harrell. Montrezl Harrell looks like he's back to his normal role, which is coming off the bench and being an efficient scorer, an efficient rebounder, and also an efficient defender. And I think that's 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 basically what the Wizards have asked of him is to be the Montrezl Harrell to be the Montrezl Harrell of Los Angeles because he's he's certainly proving that he's he's back to being his old self essentially. Spencer Dinwiddie, a great pickup for them. Um, I think the big thing with Spencer Dinwiddie is just continuing to be healthy because again last year he was injured out for the season, came back, looks like his old self being the lead guard for that Washington Wizards offense. Bradley Beal putting up great numbers again. Uh, 23 points per game, shooting the ball very well um, so far in the past couple of games. Definitely did not have a strong start to this year. His shooting efficiency was down, shooting both from the field and from three. It's gotten a little bit better in the past couple of games. But again, I think the defense is what's been impressive. And I think the philosophy has changed. Scott Brooks leaving, Wes Unsell coming in. Wes Unsell, the son of Wizards legend, Wes, Uns- or, uh, uh, Wes Unsell Jr., the son of, what, of Wes Unsell, who was a Wizards legend, I think this, that this was the perfect hire to reinvigorate life into this fan base because last year this team started off poorly. They couldn't play great defense. They snuck into the playoffs via the play-in tournament and essentially – tried to put up a fight against the Philadelphia 76ers only to be gentlemen swept by them. So this year, I actually like their chances a lot for making the playoffs and they've improved in so many different categories and a lot of players are stepping up and having a greater impact like Denny Avdia. Yeah. So, I mean, the other big thing for me too, like take a look at this start on like this start, for example, just from a record standpoint, Ryan, I found like a really interesting stat come up on the broadcast um, a game ago when they advanced to becoming 10 and three. Um, and the interesting stat is that through 13 games, this is the Wizards best start all time since 1968-69 season. Like just just let that soak in for for a second. That is an extensive period of time to, granted, starting 10 and three is a very difficult feat in the NBA, right? But that just goes to show you how much better they're playing this season, especially in comparison to seasons prior. The last two or three seasons, the Wizards have started off anywhere like one and two or oh and three in their first three games alone. And the Wizards have only that many losses through 13 games. I mean, the, the, the switch has been flipped significantly. Um, I'll let you talk a little bit more about the players from a depth standpoint. But what, what I will point out is 11 players are playing double-digit minutes. They have, um, they have four guys averaging in double figures. Um, Montrezl Harrell being one of them coming off the bench with 18 points. Like I said before, Kyle Kuzma... Kyle Kuzma's hitting big shots for this team, playing on both sides of the floor. Everybody seems to know their role. Um, as a as a as a Bulls fan, first, 
seeing Daniel Gafford play so well for this team literally hurts my soul because we basically gave him away for a bag of chips and now he's got an extension with this team and is playing a significant role in the early running. I mean, and the crazy part is Davis Bertans hasn't played well. Thomas Bryant hasn't been on the floor. Rui, Rui Hachimura has, hasn't played or has barely played. He's been out due to personal reasons. I mean, Ryan, this this team might legit go like 13 deep by accident with the talent that they have on the roster. I think when you talk about their depth, I mean, Kyle Kuzma has to be maybe one of the sneakiest acquisitions in the Russell Westbrook deal. And I think looking looking back at that trade, safe to say, I think the Wizards won this trade. And it's not even close. I love Russell Westbrook as a player, but he's a terrible fit in Los Angeles. I think what makes this trade so interesting is that something we pointed out earlier, Los Angeles players leaving the Lakers, (laughs) going to a new destination and excelling. Kyle Kuzma has not looked this good since his first year in the league. And it was a surprise to see him show out in his first year in the league. Now, He's knocking down threes. He's playing great defense. And I think the one thing he needs to improve on is those no-look passes because he's looking at Pat. He's looking to where he's throwing the ball. He needs to he needs to improve on that. Like Spencer did what he said in the post-game presser. But look, this team is really fun to watch. And I'm excited that the Wizards are this good again because it's been a very long time since they've started this well. But I, I think the big thing with this team there's no doubt that they can be consistent going forward, especially with the new voice in the room. All the players believe if they get to the playoffs, what type of impact will they have? I think that's going to be the interesting thing. I think there's no doubt they're making the playoffs. Yeah. I, I, I feel confident in making the playoffs. I mean, you know, you never know injuries can affect a lot, but this team has been able to play really well with Bradley Beal missing some time. Um, you know, condolences to him for lose, uh, losing his grandmother uh, recently. That's why he's been out for a few games. He's actually supposed to return tonight. We're recording this on um, Wednesday, November 17th. He's supposed to return tonight um, during the uh, Charlotte Hornets game. So it'll be good to see him back in the rotation. But with this team full strength, like I said, Thomas Bryant could make a return this season. Rui Hachimura is due to return at some point this season as well. I mean, this team is only fleshing out um the depth even more and they already look this solid so I mean to have this much talent on your team it it sometimes can be a problem when it comes to carving out minutes but for a Wizards team that hasn't been this good in a long time I think it's a good problem to have but Ryan you mentioned something that I think is really funny when we transition to Chicago Bulls because you talked about something that we've said on past podcasts which is you know Lakers players seem to do a lot better after they go from playing for the Lakers to playing for wherever their new squad is. Well, guess what? The Chicago Bulls have a lot of L.A. beef taking place, right? You got Zach Levine, who played for the UCLA Bruins in the, in college. You got DeMar DeRozan, who was wined and dined to the LA, uh, L.A. Lakers and the L.A. Clippers this offseason, only for the Clippers to pass and the Lakers to pick Russ over DeMar. So now DeMar is part of my squad, the Chicago Bulls. Then you've got the two ex-Lakers in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, who are both on demon time this year. 
as they are, I would say, arguably the anchors of a spearhead defense for Chicago that most didn't anticipate. And I said this on the Eastern Conference uh, preview that we did with Brooks. I said that I think they're going to be a way better defensive team than people are giving them credit. Well, Ryan, through 14 games, they are 11th in points per game at 108.6 points a game. Six in opponents' points per game, allowing 102.7 points per game. They're 10th in offensive rating with a 110 and net rating. They're seventh in defensive rating at 104.1, all while playing a much slower pace than most of us anticipated, as they're the 14th fastest team in the NBA. With all the athletes on their team, right? Lonzo, Alex, Zach for sure, right? Guys like uh, Devontae, Javante Green, Alize Johnson, and you keep going down the list of just athletes that they have on this team, right? You would have thought that this would have been a much faster team than being middle of the pack, but they're playing legit half-court basketball. They've got DeMar DeRozan as a legit closer. Zach Levine is getting buckets off the dribble, creating for himself. Lonzo's shooting the crap out of the ball from three, the best of his career, and he's improved every season. Alex Caruso has as many steals on the season as the entire Lakers guard depth. Total. Total. I mean, man, the the, the Bulls, man. I, I could go on them all day, so I'm going to pass it over to you. But, man, the, the, this, these two teams are just – they're way – they're playing way above even my expectations as a fan. Here's the thing, though. I think for me, the Chicago Bulls have not really overachieved because I think they were going to be a top team to begin with. I knew they were going to be a playoff team to begin the season this year. I predicted them as possibly anywhere between the fifth or eighth best team in the Eastern Conference. They have slightly overachieved so far with them being tied for first with the Wizards. I think what's so impressive about them is how quickly they attracted free agents because DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, even Nikola Vucevic, if you want to go back to last year in that huge tree with Orlando, Mm. this team had acquired so much talent so quickly. Like Nikola Vucevic was, was, was Orlando's best player and they got him pretty and they got him for last season that was the beginning you go to the offseason you get DeMar DeRozan who just put up 35 points against the Clippers and 38 against the Lakers in his hometown Los Angeles California you get Alex Caruso who was arguably the Lakers best defender or even their best help defender and he's been playing out of his mind defensively especially coming off the bench and a nice pairing um this and, and a nice pairing with uh um I'm forgetting who the uh, guard is coming off the bench for the Bulls at the moment. But um oh besides Caruso has been Io actually. Kobe's just retired, Io. but Io DeSumo has been playing big minutes. I was gonna talk yeah. about him in a little bit. He's actually been playing a lot more than I expected this year. Yeah, and like he's he he's made a nice pairing with Io DeSumo who shockingly enough is getting a lot more minutes than I thought he would on the roster. And it's mainly because of the injury to Kobe white, but I was thinking Iowa was going to end up in the G league with the windy C bulls who, by the way, have a stacked roster for the, for the G league. Um, but there, there's so many interesting 
players on this team. I mean, Lonzo Ball, great facilitator. He's been getting better at shooting the three. He's shooting 44% from three this year. Obviously, Nikola Vucevic's struggles this year are noted, but I think that there's I think that there's the opportunity for him to bounce back. He has not been shooting the ball well from three at all. Um, definitely getting a little bit better shooting from the field, but it's still noticeable that he's not shooting that he, he's not shooting the ball that well. But Zach Levine is going to get another All Star selection this year. I think Demar Derozan is going to get another All Star selection this year. There's a chance you can insert Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso in as all-star selections this year because of the way that Lonzo has been facilitating the ball on offense and shooting as well as he's been. I, I would even put Lonzo in the three-point contest with how well he's been shooting the three ball. So I think there's a lot to like with this team. Definitely a contender in the Eastern Conference, to say the least. So like I mentioned with the Wizards, the other thing – that I think has been so important with the Bulls besides defense has just been their depth. I mean, they've been doing this. Patrick Williams went down five games in. He's going to be out for the rest of the season due to a season-ending surgery that he's going to have to – a season-ending surgery that he's going to have to get if he hasn't already received it. Um, that's going to be a big hit because he's one of our only real young developing guys outside of Kobe White and Io, and he's got the most upside of the three. So um, that really hurts. But at the same time, I think that it has carved a little bit of a rollout for guys like Javante Green as a, as a high energy guy at the power forward position. It's giving more minutes for Alex Caruso and three and four guard lineups for us. Um, we've been play, we've been playing about without Kobe White um, all season up until about a game ago. So that's going to be huge in terms of our guard rotation. And Nikola Vucevic has missed time due to the COVID pro protocol as well. So, I mean, our team hasn't even been fully healthy yet. And this is already the kind of traction that they're gaining. So, you know, my biggest point between the Washington Wizards and the Chicago Bulls, I don't want to jump as far as contenders yet. I, I do think that both teams have gotten significantly big wins against teams that are going to be in the mix atop the East. But I've had the Bulls and the Wizards burn me before. So my, so as a, as a content fan that wants to kind of ride this wave out a little bit longer, I don't want to jump the gun too quickly, but I do think that both of these teams are going to be in the mix as top-level teams in the Eastern Conference. And I think they're going to give any team that you consider as a contender a run for their money. So the Milwaukee's, the Brooklyn's, the Miami Heat's of the world, they're going to get tough outs from this Wizards and Chicago Bulls team. That much I can say for sure. I think something else that it's a little early to make a, ju a judgment call on, but between Wes Unsell Jr. and Billy Donovan, one of these guys got to win coach of the year with the way these teams are playing. But that'll be a great battle to watch throughout the season because there's still so much time left. There really is, but I think if you're making early season candidates, there's obviously a lot of Chicago Bulls that could be in the running for some of these, for some, for some of these awards coach of the year, for sure. You have to put Billy Donovan in there um, with the work that he's done so far with Chicago, being able to turn them around in pretty much a, a one year span. Um, obviously you look at, you know, six man of the year, Alex Caruso definitely has a chance to be in that category. Zach Levine could be up for MVP at some point at, at this season. So Definitely a lot of good things with the Chicago Bulls so far. And they're not even a fully healthy team losing out Patrick Williams early in the season. Obviously, it's a huge loss given how uh, 
good of a season he had last year uh, with it being his rookie season. But next man, next player up mentality for the Chicago Bulls, and they've really embraced that. Now, going to the second team in the Eastern Conference, we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, the first live stream that uh, the Hoop Talk podcast did was against the was the Cleveland Cavaliers Washington Wizards game. And that game was so interesting because those two teams have significantly overachieved from last year. Cleveland coming in and having a pretty good record. I believe the record to this point, the to this point, the season seven and five. The Wizards at 10 and three. And that was a, a closer matchup that a lot of people thought the Wizards came back and won. But Cleveland put up a pretty good fight in that game without Colin Sexton, who tore his meniscus. They're also now going to be without Evan Mobley, who is a potential rookie of the year candidate. He's out with an ankle sprain for two to four weeks. Jalen, how do you believe that these injuries have affected the Cleveland Cavaliers so far? And do you think that with the talent that they have on this team, they can continue to win close games and possibly make a playoff push? So with Evan Mobley going down, I think that that is going to be a really big hit. We're going to talk about the rookie of the year race a little bit later. So I'm going to try not to gas Evan up too much in this segment specifically, but let's just look at the, the, the roster across the board, right? Laurie Markkinen has missed time due to COVID, uh, COVID restrictions. Kevin Love has missed time due to COVID restrictions. Colin Sexton, like you mentioned before, is out indefinitely at the moment. Um, due to a potential tour meniscus, like you mentioned beforehand. Um, now Evan Mobley, and you're pretty much leaning on Ricky Rubio, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Jetty Osman, which still does not sound too crazy or rotation. Um, outside of Jetty, or actually including Jetty Osman, let me not disrespect him, everybody within that group is averaging double figures right now. Darius Garland, he, I mean, Ryan, we mentioned this before the season started. The most improved player race is probably going to be the most interesting race in the NBA this year. Darius Garland has, an, has a really good argument to be with a, within that race as a top five guy in that area. 16.8 points per game, 6.7 assists per game, nearly a steal and a half a game. And I mean, the biggest thing that's most impressive, too, is he's shooting 40 percent from three on about six on about um, six attempts, six or seven attempts a game. Um but you lose enough talent, right? And there comes a point where you have to come back down to earth a little bit. Evan Mobley is the reigning number three overall pick, averaging nearly 15 points a game, eight rebounds, 2.5 assists, nearly two blocks a game on top of that. Dude shooting crazy efficient from the field as he's shooting 52.7% uh, just on twos alone. I mean... There comes a point, right? You can't lose a 20-point score in Sexton and lose a legitimate two-way option at the center position in Mobley and expect to still be a top-level team. And in this case, they're the second-best team in terms of opponents' points per game. Do we really think without Evan Mobley that they can be that good? Ryan, we got tricked with this last year, if you remember. In the beginning of the year, Larry Nance Jr., who now plays for the Portland Trailblazers, spearheaded a top five Cleveland Cavaliers defense. That didn't last long, and they ended up picking number three overall. 
So with that being the case, them being a top level defense and them being bottom bottom 10, bottom five in, uh, in terms of points per game in offense is, ex is exactly the same boat they were in last year and it didn't turn out well for them. I think these injuries are not going to help them and I think that they're going to be in a similar situation as last year to make a long story short. Yeah, and I think the big thing with the Cavaliers, and I actually said their record was seven and five earlier. It's actually nine and six. Um, the thing with the Cleveland Cavaliers is so interesting is that they've played pretty well without Colin Sexton so far. And I, I thought that was a huge loss that could have had season-changing impact. Mm. But Cleveland was able to pull out some wins without him. And they've had to rely on different guys to step up. Ricky Rubio, who was the leading scorer in their loss to Boston with 28 points, and then he dropped 37 against the Knicks about a week ago. And, you know, Darius Garland's really stepped up in his role, taking over as the starting point guard. Jetty Osmond's had a few games this season where he's surprised me. I think he had 26 in the loss to Boston as well. Like, there are players on this team that I'm surprised how good they're doing, but I'm also not surprised at the same time. You know, you look at, at Jared Allen, and we kind of knew how good Jared Allen was uh, coming to the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was a dominant rim protector in Brooklyn, and he's taking his talents now to Cleveland. And he's pretty much doing the same thing he did in Brooklyn, in Cleveland, being a dominant rim protector, grabbing rebounds, blocking shots. I think the other thing that will also be kind of interesting is if he will step up as the full-time center with Evan Mobley out, because with this next player up mentality, I feel like they're really going to have to give him a lot. He's going to get a, a big share of the workload with Mobley being out for two to four weeks. But an interesting name I kind of want to throw out there is Taco Fall. And I'm not 100% sure if he's going to get a lot of minutes, but because he's only averaging about three minutes a game and he's used in certain situations. But I think it could be interesting to see if he gets more minutes. I think it, it could be interesting to see if Dean, Wade, Dean Wade's minutes exceed from what he's already playing because Dean Wade's averaging about 19 minutes a game. He's, he's a pretty vital part to their bench. But I think what's going to be interesting is who will replace Evan Mobley? Who will step up in the short time that Mobley is going to be out? Because you can look up and down their bench, and they have some interesting names that you think can fill that role. But who will actually take the? Who will actually step up for that? So, kind of just to close out Cleveland, my easy answer to that will be Laurie Markinen if he returns back from COVID protocol. As of right now, he's still listed as day to day. So that's going to be one of those tricky things. I think the other thing that we shouldn't sleep on is coming into the season, me and you were worried about how this three forward slash three center thing was going to work in terms of having Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and Laurie Markkinen all on the floor, right? I think that, you know, although you don't want to see Evan Mobley go down, right? I think of that group, you'd be more happy with the fact that Laurie Markkinen is the one missing time as opposed to Evan Mobley. But I think if Laurie Marketing comes back, at least in that case, you're in a circumstance where you can kind of put Laurie next to Jared Allen. And realistically, those two next to each other actually fits better 
than Evan Mobley next to Jared Allen, despite the fact that those two grouped together is so much more dominant on the defensive end. Um, I think the other possible option is just that you would have um, more of a, like a three guard lineup, a three, four guard lineup where you would have, you know, Darius Garland, Ricky Rubio, you might lean on Isaac Acuro and Jetty Osman to play much more, um, uh, much more at the, the three, four than the two, three. And maybe you're just a little bit smaller. I think an interesting guy that you mentioned beforehand is Dean Wade, who has been playing, you know, nearly 20 minutes a game for them. Hasn't been much of a score um, for them and has been struggling from three. But I think with more time, he could be an interesting factor as well. So, um, I mean, across the board, they've got potential options. But like I mentioned earlier, man, you can only lose but so much talent before the idea of next man up and overcoming the odds becomes something that's more of a fallacy than a reality. I think when you like, again, you miss out on a 20 point score, a two way center, uh, a stretch four and Kevin love, like the dominoes fall enough. And eventually, you know, you come to the end of the game and you're looking at, you know, a handful of guys that you wonder if most of you guys were G League call-ups, no offense to the G League by, by any means, but it just goes to tell you from an NBA roster standpoint what kind of depth they're dealing with. They're deep, but not with talent. They're just deep with they're deep with viable bodies that can give you 15 minutes a night. But from a talent standpoint, are they are they top five in the East? Good, like they've played so far through 15 games, 15, 16 games. No. I just don't think that's I don't think that's realistic. Yeah, and I think the the injuries may end up catching up to them. And I think with the amount of talent that they have, it's it's kind of hard to overcome. You lose your one of your best players in Colin Sexton. You lose a potential rookie of the year candidate in Kevin Love. You already are missing out on Laurie Market and Kevin Love. The the next player up mentality, I think, is going to be interesting because of the fact that. Cleveland is known to have hot starts to begin the season like they did last year. They went off to a really, really strong start. But I'm wondering if they're going to be able to come this sort of – if they're able to overcome this sort of adversity because you, you lose out on a couple of big players. Are you going to – who is going to be that player that takes the reins and steps up? When Evan Mobley comes back, is there is is Darius Garland going to continue to take the role of being the lead guard while Ricky Rubio is the solid second option? Because Ricky Rubio has proven to be a very solid rotational guard for this team. Mm-hmm. He's had a lot. He's had a couple of great game, a couple of great games, like I mentioned earlier. But I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be an interesting team to watch, especially considering that they're nine and six right now. Um, moving on to the Western Conference, though. Interesting topic that Jalen brought to my attention, and let's kind of dive more into it. The Sacramento Kings, and I think they're an interesting team because uh, actually Jalen thinks they're an interesting team because he believes that they're the best trade partner in the NBA. Now, I think that's an interesting take considering that Sacramento has a lot of talent this year where I think that they can be a play-in team and sneak into the playoffs. But Jalen, I kind of want to hear more of your thoughts on this because they do have a lot of potential trade players. They they definitely have a lot of potential trade pieces. 
But why do you believe that they're a very, they're a, a really good trade partner? Why do you believe that they're the best trade partner? So there's a few things that factor in, but I'm just going to list out the top three options. When I came up with this idea of looking around the NBA and trying to look for who is the team that, that most teams would target to acquire a player that can play valuable rotational minutes on a playoff caliber, if not championship caliber team, the team that stood out to me was the Sacramento Kings. Now, Kings fans, I know that that sounds really bad because it sounds like you're going into reboot mode. And in this case, it, you kind of are, but under circumstances that actually make sense. So let's start with point number one. Point number one is that you are in year three of Luke Walton at coach and you are continuing to have developmental struggles in terms of guys rotationally in your lineup that that are fitting well together, but not necessarily playing to their best capacity. You even have guys like Marvin Bagley III, for example, who was called in to play in a game and waved off Coach Walton, telling him he wasn't going to come in the game. If you're getting mini mutinies in your in your locker room, that is a coach that needs to go. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the live stream. We have a mailbag coming up soon, and that'll be something that we'll talk about. But Luke Walton is losing this team slowly but surely, if not rapidly, with the fact that, Ryan, they're 10th in the West, 25th in opposing points per game, with and opponent's points per game, which means, again, they're one of the worst defenses in the NBA. They're third in points per game, one of the better scoring teams in the NBA, but them putting up points in a hurry has not helped them in the win column. So that's the first thing that I think, is that Luke Walton has not helped this team improve. They've gotten off to, you know, surprising starts with big game wins, uh, with, with big winnings uh, early, but always end up through 15 or so games right here, middle of the pack, if not bottom of the West. My second point is the contracts. When it comes to Sacramento Kings, when it comes to Sacramento Kings contracts, they have a lot of favorable guys that are going to be interesting within a trade scenario. You got De'Aaron Fox, who's owed the most money, right? And he's had, he has an ascending contract, which is like a little bit more difficult. He's probably the player that the Kings will not move off of. They just gave him a max. His max ascends to as high as $37 million in 2025-26. That's going to be a little bit of a harder contract to move. But Buddy Heald has been in trade talks. He's got three years left on his contract, and it's a descending contract. Harrison Barnes, who you guys talked about on your most impressive and most uh, disappointing players, you guys listed him as an impressive player so far this season, has been playing really well this year, um, 20.9 points per game, 8.1 rebounds a game through 14 games, and he has he's a nearly expiring contract after this season he only has one more season left and it descends to 18 million um for the year marvin bagley has basically done everything but openly himself say trade me everybody in their mama has basically vouched that bagley needs to be charged needs to be traded why not do it he has one year left on his rookie uh, on his rookie deal he has not been offered an extension and if he has he sure as heck has not accepted it 
He's on the trade block. Tristan Thompson, who they accepted this past offseason, is only a one-year expiring deal. He could be an interesting guy. I mean, if you look across the board, bro, they just have a handful of guys that you can take a look at. Even guys like Terrence Davis and Maurice Harkless, who can play some legitimate minutes at the three for a, for a playoff caliber team, are all guys who will be interesting. You can restart things up with guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, and Rashawn Holmes, even De'Aaron Fox, who I really don't think the Kings should um, think about trading, despite the fact that he's been named in, you know, Ben Simmons talks and stuff. I think if you just start over with Fox, Davion, Tyrese, and Rashawn Holmes as the main guys, and you start just working towards fulfilling a legit young roster around them, you got something budding. So that's my main thing with that for point two. And the last one, point three, which is like a really simple, quick pass is when you're this low on the totem pole in the West, you have a lot more to offer than the teams at the top. The teams at the top want to contain their continuity by all means, but they also want to improve. The teams at the bottom are looking for the easiest way out to blow things up and work on the next uh project so to speak well the kings have fell, fell into three straight years of needing to find a new project and guess what similar to the orlando magic who ryan you called it before they ended up you know blowing the team up at the trade deadline they finally plunged after three to four seasons of making the eighth seed barely getting one game getting a, a one game one victory after another and then getting gentlemen swept in the end, they finally blew the whole thing up. Well, the Kings are the next up on that list. Um, how far they're willing to go is up to them. But I think they have the trade assets to blow up things and get legit depth, like young depth, very soon with guys like Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald more so, even a guy like Tristan Thompson. So... I mean, those are my arguments, man. I mean, like, you know, I hate to, you know, take up the whole segment or anything. So apologies if I'm kind of rambling here. But my main thought process is when you think about the overall talent level across the board and you look at the ranging ages timeline wise for Sacramento in comparison to some of these other teams, Sacramento's got the best the, the best options in the book. You You follow that up with the fact that the last major point of any is when you're this bad, you need a change. Start with the coach <laughs> and follow that up with the roster. I think they're in the perfect position to do both of those things. Yeah. Um, I think the Sacramento Kings could go one of two ways. One, fire, fire Luke Walton because this team has way too much talent to go through yet another rebuild. Um, I do think Luke Walton is quickly losing the locker room. I agree with you on that. And it's, it's tough because they had more success with their previous coach, Dave Yeager, who's now an assistant coach with the Philadelphia 76ers. My big thing is Luke Walton proved that he could coach with the Golden State Warriors when he went on a 39-4 and run when he was the assistant coach while Steve Kerr was out that season. Since then, Luke Walton has not led a team to the playoffs, and he struggled to get any sort of momentum going with any of the teams that he's coached, the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Lakers. The only reason I think it worked with 
the Golden State Warriors so much was because of the talent that they had on that roster. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. That's a phenomenal big three already. And I think that when you're looking at this team from top to bottom, I'm talking about the Sacramento Kings. This is a team that I think is, I think this is the year they can really make some noise because you get, you get uh, Davion Mitchell in the draft, who's widely regarded as one of the best three-point shooters and defenders in the draft. Buddy Heald has been shooting lights out to start this season, shooting over 44%. Uh, yeah, shooting over uh, 40% from three and averaging 17 points a game, primarily coming off the bench. Darren Fox has been putting up some big numbers, even though he is, he's been really struggling to shoot from three. He actually got off to a pretty bad start offensively as well, shooting from the field and from three. Harrison Barnes has maybe come out and, and become like the biggest surprise in the league with how good he's been doing. And, you know, him, him averaging 20 points a game and eight rebounds, it is interesting because Harrison Barnes has has been a second has been a role player throughout most of his career, and to see him excel into being the best player on the Kings right now is impressive. And you know he he's really taken to that role of being the lead scoring option for the Sacramento Kings. Rashawn Holmes, I think, is an up and coming center. He's got so much more room to improve. And he's been doing great so far for them. Tyrese Halliburton, I think he's actually made for a better pairing with De'Aaron Fox in the starting lineup than Buddy Heald in the starting lineup, which I think is has really worked to Buddy Heald's benefit considering he's been playing out some great games, shooting the ball well from the field and from three. Um, the thing is, if you go about another rebuild, I'm not really sure what the fan base is going to think because I think if we talk to Carson, for sure he does not want to see another rebuild, especially considering that um, what you're pretty much keeping is De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Rashawn Holmes, and Davion Mitchell, and you're going to build around that, which means you're going to trade Harrison Barnes, who I think is a, va- a valuable trade commodity. I think it, I guess that also means you're going to try to find a way to get Marvin Bagley out of there because Marvin Bagley, it seems like he wants out from Sacramento. Tristan Thompson, I think, could be on his way out. But the thing is with the Sacramento Kings team, if you're going to rebuild it, do it already because Orlando took that. Like I said earlier, I called the Orlando rebuild. I knew when they were struggling last season, they really weren't making a lot of, they really weren't getting anywhere in the Eastern Conference, so they blew it up. They traded away Fournier. They traded away Nikola Vucevic. They were their two best players. They traded away Aaron Gordon as well. If you're going to rebuild, do it. If you're not going to rebuild, then you need to find a way to get into the playoffs this year because this is the this is a talented roster that they have. There's no excuse why they should not be in the playing tournament at least. Yeah, I I think when it comes to Sacramento, you know, like I said, I've said a lot about them, so I don't want to go too much further in on, you know, my points with them. But I'll just go as far as saying this. For Sacramento, they need to pick a choice. We said this about Orlando. I mentioned this earlier. Similar to the Orlando Magic, the Sacramento Kings need to make a decision. 
Are they going to plunge and sell, sell high, considering that a lot of these players are playing at such a high level? Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, um, Tristan Thomas Thompson to a certain degree, not necessarily his play on the court, but what he can provide in a locker room. Or, or replace the coach and put yourself in a potentially better situation to make a legit run in the playoffs run to the playoffs but whatever choice they need to make they need to make it early because once that trade deadline hits the choice needs to be made because anything later than that is going to put them in another position where I think they could be that team looking on the outside on on the outside looking in to another play-in potential uh, another potential play-in situation where they are the team that's the odd man out despite the fact that their roster says they should be somewhere in the mix so moving on to our last team in the Eastern in the Western Conference, should I say, we're going to be talking about. Um, hold on for a second. Okay, so the last team that we're going to be talking about is the Golden State Warriors, and it's pretty clear that the Golden State Warriors are in a position where they want to win a championship this year again. Twelve and two start. They are one of the best teams right now in the NBA. Steph Curry is putting out MVP numbers, which really doesn't come as as a surprise considering he's been doing that for most of his career. He's been shooting the ball extremely well from three, which also doesn't come as a surprise considering he's been doing that well for most of his career. But it seems like they're getting the band back together for what looks like a 2015-16-esque season for the Golden State Warriors. They're 12-2, and they have two losses this year. Jalen, does is this team the best team in the Western Conference? Is it is it even close, or do you think that there is a, a another team that's right behind them slightly? I think they're the best in the West, bro. And it's not even just with the way they're playing. It's with the fact that they're doing it under circumstances that are sustainable, right? Um, bringing Klay Thompson in is not going to mess with the chemistry of this team. He's a catch-and-shoot player who also plays defense as, like, basically your prototypical 3-and-D wing on steroids, considering the dude can score 27-plus in a quarter if he wants to do it, right? Draymond Green is still the spearhead of, of your defense, a defense that, mind you, and I mentioned this earlier, that this is going to be a common theme with a lot of the teams that we talked about, where this is another one of those teams that is playing above average defense considering their roster. They're third in opponent's points per game, and they're the best team in the league in terms of defensive rating at 99.5. They're also matching that by being the highest scoring team in the NBA at 115.2 points per game and the second and have the second best offensive rating in the NBA at 112, uh, 112.7. Like, if you're going to be the best team on offense and a top two team on defense, who's messing with you? Like, who is messing with you? And from a championship standpoint, the formula, the typical formula for a championship caliber team is to be a top five, top 10 offense and a top five, top 10 defense. This team is top two, top two between both categories. And the most impressive thing really, Ryan, is that they're doing it with pretty much the same roster they had last year. Like, let's be real. Nemanja Bialitz, Nemanja Bialica has played well for them, but he hasn't played crazy for them. Otto Porter has not been a crazy contributor for them yet. 
Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody have not really played for them despite being, you know, lottery pick rookies. They're pretty much getting a lot of their production from Stephen Curry, who's averaging nearly 30 a game. Jordan Poole, who everybody views as a breakout player this season and so far played as such, 17 points per game. Andrew Wiggins is his normal, consistent self while also being really good on the defensive end with 18.1 points per game. Damian Lee has been a guy who's been a staple on this team as a consistent rotational player for them, and he's averaging nearly 11 points per game. Shout out to the G League, Gary Payton Jr., a.k.a. the Mitten. That dude defensively, Ryan, I heard this said on a telecast one time, and I think it's a really great point. This dude only plays 13 minutes a night. I promise you, if this dude played 20 minutes a night, he would be on an all-defensive team. I genuinely believe that if Gary Payton II played, I would say, let's say even 18, 18 to 25 minutes a night, I think he would be first team all defense in the, in the entire NBA. I, I'm going to go that far on it. I think he's that good of a defender. Um, just check some of the stats in terms of some of his one-on-one -on -one defenders, uh, uh, defensive stats against top level stars at the guard position. That, that'll kind of solve your problem. I mean, you know, again, they're doing all of this without Klay Thompson. Stephen A. Smith said this on ESPN, and I think it's a fair point. He said, when this team gets Klay Thompson, it's over. I, I don't know if it's over. You still have the Miamis, the Brooklyns um, of the world um, out west. I still think the Lakers are dangerous when fully healthy. I know that they look kind of kind of, you know, underwhelming right now. And, you know, that's kind of likely with the fact that we've been so low on them all year. But in a playoff scenario, you never know. Um, the Suns are still good. Like, it's not – I don't think it's over when they get Klay Thompson. But as of right now, with this roster, you you drop Klay Thompson into that, they need to at least be the favorites out of the West. If they're not your favorites out of the Western Conference right now, you must not be watching the same NBA basketball that the rest of us are. I'll say this about Clay Thompson real quick, because if he can come in and have a Kevin Durant-esque impact from the way that Kevin Durant returned from that Achilles injury, it will not only be impressive, but I think that Clay Thompson will come in, make an immediate impact, and start lighting up the court with threes. Because if he is as good as he was before he was injured, there's no doubt that the Warriors are going to be the favorite in the West. And it's going to put a lot, it's going to put a lot of pressure on teams like Phoenix, teams like Utah, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavericks, because now you have to deal with Steph Curry and the, and the Golden State Warriors again. Two, it, it's been two years since the, Gold, since the Golden State Warriors made the playoffs. This is the year where they do it again. And I think that with the amount of talent on this team, there's no excuse that this team could be the best in that. There's no excuse for a finish below the fifth seed, because I think that this team has the talent absolutely to make it happen. And I think it's going, it's obviously still early in the season, but I think it's going to take a little bit more time for guys like Otto Porter and Amaya Bielitsa to get going. I do kind of want to see what the rookies have to show as well. Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. We've seen kind of sample sizes of them but I'm interested to see if they get more minutes going forward. Somebody who I absolutely think should get more minutes is Gary Payton II, and it's not it's not even close with his defensive impact. He should be averaging more than 20 minutes a game, 
And I think he should definitely have a bigger impact off the bench. But um, I think when it comes to these defensive sets, Gary Payton's going to have to be in there for sure. Steph Curry, with the way he's been playing defense, I think Golden State War. I, I think the Golden State Warriors have an interesting defensive team as well with Gary Payton and the way that Steph Curry's been playing defense. Draymond Green's always been kind of a consistent defender throughout his career. Golden State, Golden State just has the recipe for success right now. And when they get Clay Thompson back, I'm not going to say it's over because it, there's definitely a lot of talent in the Western Conference where things could change. But Golden State is now a big-time player, and they they look as good as they did in 2015 and 2016 when they went 73-9. and nine. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, this is not a team – I don't think they're going to go – you know, 73 and nine or anything crazy like that in terms of their long-term dominance throughout the season. But man, they just look like a really solid team. You have to shout out Steph Curry because he's continuing to play at an MVP caliber level level. Last season, he can't, he's coming off of last season leading the league and scoring, battling with my guy Bradley Beal for the for the scoring title and coming out on top. And this year, you can just tell, especially from Draymond Green specifically, that this team feels more rejuvenated and prepared to make an actual playoff run. Last season, it seemed like between losing Clay again, um, not getting very good minutes from second overall pick James Wiseman, who also has not played for this team at all this season, and just being under the gun of circumstances where it seemed like their team just was not really talented enough to hang in the West, it seemed like they were simply going through a feeling out process last year. Well, guess what? Their sample size was was 70 plus games. And this year, it clearly shows that they learned a lot from the the grueling run that was last, uh, last year. So, I mean, the Golden State Warriors look like they're in a really good position right now. Like you said beforehand, I hope Gary Payton second gets more minutes. I think he can make them even more of a dangerous defensive team than they already are. Again, basically a top two team on that side of the ball. Um, and the craziest thing about it, like, like we've mentioned multiple times throughout this pod, Clay Thompson hasn't played a dribble play, hasn't played a minute, hasn't had a single dribble for them yet. I think he's finally returned to five on five play and is due to return post Christmas. So Golden State is going to get themselves a really very nicely wrapped present in January in the form of a guy who can give you 20 a night, lock up on the defensive end, and is going to provide even more depth to this roster with the fact that guys like Damian Lee guys like Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and so on and so forth are going to have less offensive responsibility, which is going to allow them to maybe do even more as two-way players. And I even talk about how good of a defender Clay Thompson was too. And he's coming back to a defensive team that already has some pretty good defenders on it. And I just, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I think that this team, with the way that they've been shooting the three, with the way that they've been playing defense, there's no doubt that this team has title hopes for sure. But moving on to our last topic, and this is kind of a general topic throughout the NBA, we didn't really give our preseason predictions as to who would win each award. But I think the most interesting award for sure has to be the rookie of the year race. And there is there's so many different factors to talk about. And, it, and, and now I think it changes with, 
Evan Mobley going down with this injury. He'll be out for about two to four weeks, like we mentioned earlier, with an ankle sprain. Jalen, who do you believe is the winner of the Rookie of the Year this season? And does Evan Mobley's injury impact his status in the Rookie of the Year race? So I remember we had this conversation during Summer League and our our choices for Rookie of the Year at the moment were Jalen Green. Um, I think he has the highlight plays to do it, but I just think the Rockets are that bad to the point that I'm not sure if he, I mean, I still think he'll be a top five candidate, maybe, maybe even top three if things improve. Um, Kobe White for the Chicago Bulls, his, his rookie season was so-so until post-All-Star break, and then he started going crazy. So you never know for Jalen Green, who's already a pretty well-developed scorer in ways that I think actually go beyond Kobe White rookie year. But if I had to get my top three guys right now in the race, especially with the fact that Cade Cunningham has missed, you know, he missed early time and is starting to slowly but surely, you know, make his name for himself with the Detroit Pistons. But my three guys so far through this season, Evan Mobley, like you mentioned before, who I think is going to get bumped down a peg with missing some time, especially if he misses a lot of time. Scotty Barnes for Toronto has played really well. And the third guy, Ryan, there's no way I was going to leave this dude off my list, whether we did top three or top five, bro. That man, Chris Duarte from Oregon, is eating for the uh, for the Indiana Pacers. Um, so those would be my three guys. We can go into the stats a little bit if you want to. But um, those would be my top three candidates right now. If I had to pick a wild card right now, I would pick um, uh, Josh Giddy as another wild card guy in that group. And um, to round out the top five, top six, we, we know that Cade and we know that Jalen Green are going to be in the mix. The question is just can they really start to ramp things up? Because both of them have gotten to like semi-slow starts. Um, sad to see that Jalen Suggs hasn't had the same kind of impact, but I'm sure he's due as well. Yeah, I think the big thing with with both Jalen Suggs and Jay, uh, with uh, both Jalen Green, should I say, and Cade Cunningham Um the one thing that I've really been intrigued by is the fact that there are two young players on two rebuilding teams. And I think that's something we kind of need to consider with this rookie of the year, rookie of the year race, because you could argue Cleveland is in a rebuilding state. Obviously they're in their fourth year of this rebuild Toronto. We don't really know what Toronto is yet because it's, it's kind of hard to decipher what they are. Are they a rebuilding team? Are they a playoff team? They have the talent for both a rebuild and a playoff run. So I think they're an interesting team right off the bat. The thing with Chris Duarte that I think is interesting is that he's 24 years old, and I'm not sure how much more development he has left. I said this on uh, the last episode with Jackson. I'm not 100% sure what his development looks like going forward, what else he has to improve on. Um He's he's obviously somebody that walks in, makes an, makes an immediate impact to start the season with the Indiana Pacers. And it's mainly because of injuries that he's been able to step in and kind of take over pretty early on. And the Pacers are currently three games below 500. And it's not they're not in a bad position to rebuild. But I think the big thing from what I said with the Pacers was that I'm not sure where they rank in the Eastern Conference because I think they're they should rebuild. I think they should rebuild with Demontis Sabonis at the helm. 
for sure. But I'm just the thing with all five of the teams that we've discussed, the Pistons, the Rockets, the Pacers, the Cavs and the Raptors. I'm not sure if any of them are even going to make are even going to come close to the playoffs either. There's the chance. There's the there's the balance being with Toronto where there's the double edged sword with Toronto where they could be a playoff team, but they also could be a rebuilding team. But for the most part, most of the rookies that we're talking about are on rebuilding teams, essentially. So I, I feel like we have to kind of consider Jalen Green and Kate Cunningham for this award even more with the fact that the Pistons and the Rockets, even though they are both two of the worst teams in the league, it's going to take time for them to kind of adjust to the NBA. And the one thing that I'll say to close out my take is that don't be surprised if we're talking about 10 guys toward the end of the season for this rookie of the year, for this rookie of the year race, because Davion Mitchell, I know that the numbers don't show it, but defensively he's putting up, he's putting up like really tough performances against some of the best guards in the league. Yeah. I think that's a great point to finish out on when you talk about the rookie of the year race. I think that nobody has definitively put themselves out there yet. And we know that this game takes time to process, especially because this was, Um, a really decent guard class and we know that the guard position is one of the more difficult um, positions to transition um, through from college to the NBA or in Jalen Green's case the even the G League to the NBA so it's going to be interesting I think this this is a race that's going to start off kind of slow and I think it's going to get really exciting post all-star break when these guys have gotten a chance to kind of sit back, reflect on the way the beginning of their season has went and kind of like reestablish themselves. The other thing is post all-star break also leads to the trade deadline. And once teams are officially solidified, they're no longer playing for an audition, potentially for other squads. The team you're with is the squad you're fighting with. And that's going to make things a little bit easier from a continuity standpoint as well. When the teams are kind of set right now, every team is kind of just still feeling themselves out way too early to make a judgment call. So I think that's a great point. I think post all-star break, you might have a point. We might have like 10 guys who arguably could all be in, in the mix for this position, uh, for, for this spot as rookie of the year. It's, it's going to be a fun rookie class to watch. And the fact that, you know, we haven't even reached, you know, a, a full a quarter of the season yet just goes to tell you that like, there's a lot more room for these guys to grow. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, if the season ended today, who is your rookie of the year? Transitioning to our, our this has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.